0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 106.
1: I'm aww. one of your hosts, David Lyons. <laughs> I'm Michael Edwards, <laughs> 106.
0: I heard your sad little <laughs> awl. <laughs> Um, and uh, I think we have actually like a bunch of follow-up, but the first thing is uh, something you're going to yeah, tell us about. Technic- so tell us about a thing.
1: Technically not follow-up, but something I haven't uh, taken any time to mention is that I've started a new project related to podcasting, which is uh, I've joined a, a little thing called Rack and Tour Denver, which is a live storytelling event here in Denver. They, uh, uh, me and Amber Blaze and Derek Mund, um, we invite storytellers to tell little stories about a theme, sort of like The Moth and some other podcasts you may have heard of that do storytelling stuff. And uh, I record these live events and uh, produce the podcast version of it. So I kind of wanted to throw a little plug for checking that out. Um, The first episode just went live as of publishing this episode. And uh, you can find (laughs) that at com, or you can, you know, the usual ways, searching in iTunes or... Or otherwise, you can find the podcast. Just look for Tour Denver podcast, and uh, it's a good time. It's a you know, it's it's a really interesting live event because people are there's no notes. You're not reading a prompter or anything. It's it's very much a live performance of story, but uh, it's it's fun editing and capturing that too.
0: Is there any audience engagement or heckling? Anything weird? Yeah.
1: So one of the big elements is there's no heckling. Um, <laughs> I mean, hopefully not. But. Um, In the middle of the night, so everyone, there's a sign-up sheet when you arrive, and I mean, it's optional, but you can sign up if you want to tell a story too. So in addition to the curated tellers, the audience can jump up and have up to three minutes to tell their little tale. And so we had three of those on the first night too. Um, So it's a lot of fun.
0: And does the do all the stories come out as one big episode, or is each story its own episode?
1: Yeah, each night has kind of a guiding theme, like first muse or first adulting or first uh, this this <laughs> whole year for the first season. I guess everything's first related, and so uh, all the stories are supposed to be related to the theme.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense to to wrap those all together. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of the Story Collider. You ever listen to the Story Uh-oh. Collider? It's uh, it just it's a similar kind of um, not necessarily professionals, but people with really interesting stories, like so interesting that you're like, I don't even care that this person sounds a little nervous. The story <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. So you just like get amazing like little sh- things. You'd never run into these people. You'd never get that from them. So it's cool. And where can people find that link again?
1: <laughs> you can find it in our show notes, which you can find <laughs> at sunriserobotnet slash flipping tables slash 106.
0: That may win the prize for earliest mention of the show notes, I think.
1: (laughs) We'll start an episode sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I,
0: so I actually have something similar to this. Uh, so Ben Ornstein, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, uh, briefs.fm, one of the, the many services that's cropping up, that's trying to do something new and different with, with podcasts and, uh, Ben listened and he, he was like, yeah, I would love to get somebody in there who, who's who got like a lot of mixing and podcast experience. And I was like, heck yes. So I, uh, I just spun my thing up. Hopefully by the time this episode, this episode of flipping tables airs, I'll have a, a link in the show notes where you can go find it. But I'm uh, they're doing an algorithmically driven mixing. So I'm going to just pick random microphones and random settings and see how well the algorithm handles that because yeah. I really would consider outsourcing that job to a robot if it does a good enough job.
1: <laughs> well, especially for a solo show where there isn't more complicated mixing that needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's all the shows
0: are, you know, there's no theme music, there's no just go. ad reads. <laughs> yeah, it's just... And, and you have a maximum of three minutes. So no matter what the quality of the audio file is, if it's longer than three minutes, they kick it back and they're like, nah. So... <laughs> They're going for kind of like a Twitter of podcasts, yeah. like lower all the barriers, make it you know more informal. It and just uh, kind of
1: like as time goes on, communications take away the like used to be letters had to have the official king's seal and like all this <laughs> dressing and fabric on it. And, and then email started off having like greetings and signatures and people still have that crap on it. That, you know, <laughs> and it's like, we don't need all that fluff now. So maybe podcasts can shed some of the the dressings.
0: Yeah, especially for people who aren't trying to make, uh, like, an NPR clone, right? Like, someone who wants to make uh, the serial clone, like, it needs to be highly produced and have music underneath. And, I mean, you could do all that stuff with briefs because you just send them a music fi- or an audio file, and then it it uh, does the algorithm and posts it. But it would have to be less than three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, it's not only for, like for me as someone who mixes audio, I think it's interesting on the algorithm side, but I'm also really fascinated by this idea of cramming all of my thoughts into less than three minutes. And, uh, I mean, you know, anybody who's ever listened to this show is like, you'll never be able to do it lions. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Half of the track at you. Exactly right. So yeah, we're both doing, we're not, we're not breaking the band up, right? <laughs> this isn't our, our subtle way of saying like we hate each other. But we are both doing other things. We have an open We're relationship. We're seeing other
1: podcasts.
0: <laughs> um, so actual follow-up. Uh, yes. Twitter did exactly what they said they weren't going to do. <laughs> and I don't think I have this yet. Do you have this option yet? I
1: found it in the mobile app. It, I did have a switch now for – I forget right. how, how they labeled it. But uh, it's opt-in, so no one has it automatically. It's in for now. (laughs) Um, But I haven't actually noticed any difference so far, but maybe I open Twitter too often for it to need to summarize what I missed. Um, So, so far, it's kind of been not very transformative for me. So that's either damning for what they hoped would happen as a result (laughs) of this or encouraging if you hate the idea of it. Um, I mean, supposedly the idea is if you don't open Twitter for a long time or there's a ton of tweets in between you opening it, then it'll first show you the, the what it thinks is the best stuff and then it'll revert to chronological after that.
0: Which they've sort of been doing, the like while you were away
1: yeah. thing. It just which, won't be
0: labeled as such anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, This whole The fact that it's opt-in makes me very happy if it stays that way. Like, I would be accepting of this if it stayed that way, or if you created a new account, maybe the default was the algorithm, but it was really clear, like, hey, you may have heard that Twitter is real-time, reverse, chronological order. It's not. Yeah. Um, but here's the button if you want to
1: change that back,
0: right? I still I, – I wouldn't agree with that, but at least I would say, like, well, okay, you, you tried to compromise.
1: yeah. And it's under this thing called timeline personalization. I don't know how it's personalized, but that's where the switch is. Um, The 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 thing I find so
0: irritating about this is that, not that they're doing it because that's a matter of opinion, but Jack Dorsey literally said, we're not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, but he said, we're not going to do that next week. And then lo and behold... That is exactly what they did exactly on the the day that it was rumored that it was going to happen. So, I don't know. That, that shakes my confidence in him to deliver on his promises when he he didn't say, like, oh, we don't comment on rumor and speculation. Like, he, over, he overtly said. <laughs> yeah, he should have said, pulled the Apple PR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the any of that would have been fine, but I don't know. Whatever. Maybe it's and the beginning I, of the end. I wonder Twitter. if
1: there was any last-minute changes to the way they refer to it or the rollout details of, like, maybe it was going to be opt-out, but they were like, oh,
0: no <laughs> Oh, no, we have potentially gotten caught with our pants down. Which, I mean, yeah, right? It feels exactly like that's what happened. And, I mean, we had this whole discussion about the... the the power users and like, are the power users killing Twitter? And no, (laughs) because they're actually using it on what it was sold to them as. Like, that's the part of the conversation I do not understand is, is there are people who are less, uh, married to Twitter's functionality as it exists today. They're saying like, well, you only like it because it does what it used to do when you became a member. It's like, yeah, uh uh-huh. Like if one day I went outside and my car was a boat, it wouldn't matter how good of a boat it was. It's like I bought a car. I needed a car. So now I have this amazing boat that can take me anywhere a boat can go. And I'm like, great. (laughs) But I needed a car. That's why I bought a car. So that's like –
1: And they're like, but boats are selling better. Goodbye, car uh, person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, And that's – I just – I, I've had this disagreement with people who I thought were like Twitter power users and I thought were pretty married to the way it, it functioned, but they're like, I don't care. Algorithms, whatever. I don't even care. So now I'm like, ah, these other people who I thought would be on my side are not. So maybe I really am the cranky old man. <laughs>
1: In my day, Twitter was SMS only. Uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had to tweet everything to 44 44 44 and <laughs> god damn it we liked it
1: uh, uh, i don't know what are well, they doing about more. trolls yeah so this was in nbc news but uh twitter's apparently launching a, a full committee you know tw- committees are where results come from <laughs> when you're trying to do things an anti-troll cyber safety committee And uh, presumably this is because there's been lots of press, especially um, in relation to things like Gamersgate and uh, and other like very ugly uh, ecosystem community battles um, (laughs) where people end up doxing or treating people like crap on the Internet and just harassing them. And uh, Twitter's kind of historically had only big hammers that are only sort of effective for certain things. So I think today, and correct me if there's something I'm missing, you can mute someone which just you don't get notified when they do something relating to your account. And it's kind of a quiet sort of block where you don't you aren't it's harder to stumble upon what someone is trying to do to you on Twitter. But they don't know they're block. They have no way to know that they're muted. Well um, yeah not, so th-
0: there's muting and blocking, and if so you're, yeah, then the if other, you're other one's blocked, blocking, yeah, you know it
1: it's easy to discover because you just look in a incognito window, oh, I can see <laughs> the account, look in your signed inside, and you can't see it and it's uh and then people you know people that are trolling or harassing just set up a new account and start going about their business again immediately, so blocking doesn't work at all. muting is not a full measure. Reporting someone sends it into a black hole. Um, you can say this person's harassing me, but how many days, what is that process like? I don't know. Oh yeah. so,
0: it's, it's total. like, oh no, your, your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. It's,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I just can't imagine if, if you're Zoe Quinn at the heart of Gamersgate, and you just people are just flinging crap at you. Nonstop, they're finding your address they're doing awful things um blocking ain't gonna do it when there's hundreds of people doing this to you um so what do you do if you're twitter i mean what is this like how like put on your cyber safety hat and what what can you do twitter is such a public platform it's it's by nature intended to be public conversation so how do you police this
0: uh I think this is one of those things where uh, you need to invest in human labor and not unless there's some kind of amazing algorithm I've never heard of but uh and no community has ever decided to leverage but I think it, you really need human beings who know what the the policy of the company is who are charged with and empowered to act on these kinds of situations. So if you're um, you know like one, one of the women who's being harassed and, and doxed and swatted and in like the gamergate thing, there are humans who re- read these reports and actually look and say like you know this person's banned, this person's banned, this person's banned because we're not gonna tolerate that. And yeah. eventually I think you can create a high enough bar where it's like, yeah you can just keep creating new accounts, and there's some ways you can kind of get in the way of that, like IP filtering and stuff. That's not very good. But if you create enough hurdles, eventually you make it not practical, right? Yeah. Not impossible, never impossible, but just impractical to harass someone. And if the the general culture around it is fairly strict, then I think over time you can see a change because someone who, who goes on like Twitter and 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 doxes someone, and just in case anybody's listening, that means uh, like putting all of their personal information, home address, phone number, uh, social security number, credit card numbers, where they work, anything you can find out about them, just all this personal information out on the public web. So if you're the kind of person who doxes somebody, like you absolutely no question have to be completely banned from the service. That is unacceptable behavior. But I would say it's probably even fair to ban people who break – an established and well understood code of conduct. Like if you are going around calling every like black person you can find on Twitter, the N word, like, yeah, that you don't deserve to get a platform to do that. Like Twitter is not required.
1: Yeah, Twitter can decide not to allow that. Yeah, they're it's,
0: not. They're it's not, not the government. Free speech. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and whenever someone says like, "Oh, well, nobody's going to use your platform if they're censored," and it's like, ah, this is not that. Yeah, this is not like an argument about political ideals. This is like, you know, racial intolerance, uh, like homophobia, like all those things. There isn't, in my mind, a place for those things. So saying they're not allowed is fine. And I don't need to hear any, like, slippery slope arguments from anybody.
1: (laughs) Well, what I think is hard about this sort of solution, having an army of people to handle reports and investigate and, you know, ban people and all that stuff, is um, one of the fears, and I I don't think it's completely crazy, uh, is part of Twitter's value is that you can, quote, speak truth to power. You can... (laughs) question people you can you know whether whether it's government officials or you know whatever like you can you can challenge companies and brands and and government actions and all that and all of that machinery you described could also be used to censor like civil dissent and so it's like ah harassment is so bad but is our chemotherapy of banning people going to also ban other good things? And it's all like, well, you're hiring a bunch of humans. Are those humans going to have good norms and values <laughs> that they operate with? Great. We're back at every human society ever.
0: <laughs> and that's the thing is, I mean, how many times have you and I had the the, the frustration when someone's like, "Well, that solution isn't perfect and magical," therefore, we should stick with the <laughs> terrible nightmare we have. Yeah, and and I don't think that a bunch of humans would be a perfect solution because people are totally fallible. There's probably some combination of, uh, you know, the 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 culture of the community, uh, human moderators who are charged with like kind of keeping the peace, uh, maybe some algorithmic stuff. I mean for me a lot of the things are you don't the same way like if you 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 and I like we both curse a blue streak like I'm probably worse than you but like we both swear but we we censor those things on the show because we want to make it more widely uh, applicable to listeners right or 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 safer listening audience and Twitter is under no obligation to say like, yeah, if you just really hate Catholics, you can totally come on here and like rip <laughs> them to shreds. Like they are not obligated to provide that uh, that kind of a platform. like, oh, if you really like Halo and you really hate women, uh, this is your megaphone. You know. <laughs> also, please buy Nike shoes. Um, so that so, yeah, I don't I don't really see a problem with that. But I guess I'm not like a bigot and an asshole so maybe i'm biased
1: yeah. some i mean some other ideas are you know you see some of this in reddit and some other platform not that reddit is a bastion no. of great moderation no, but no, no. um i mean you could and th- all of these strike at the heart of trying to get new users because it may make that more difficult but do you rate limit new users do you say new accounts can't at reply people very often or not very much until after a month. Like, can you do any of that kind of stuff to kind of like slow it down? But then, does that piss off people that just joined Twitter and they're like, "Why can't I say hi to my friend twice?" Yeah. Day? <laughs> uh, I mean, any of this, anything or like if they don't follow you back, you can't at. Rep- but then, all that's exactly getting to what I was saying yeah. before. Like, well, new accounts can't challenge. Government action yeah, and
0: anything that is going to potentially stifle speech, even if it's hate speech, there's always going to be the concern that that would prevent people from getting involved with the platform or that it would make the platform more complicated and and I acknowledge that this is not an easy problem, uh but it's incredibly important. I mean there are a lot of really innocent people who have been really, really hurt by the actions of complete and total tool bags. And Twitter's response was like, huh. Eh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And that's I mean, you know, when they when they shed users, I think like last quarter they reported they had like some kind of massive drop in users. Um like two million or something in, in like one yeah. quarter. And everybody wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, everybody freaked the hell out. But if you are uh, a, a celebrity or, or a pseudo celebrity. I don't know what the right term is, but if, if you're like a well-known person and you're like, Hey, I'm leaving Twitter because I'm constantly getting rape threats, then people who support you are also going to leave. And if you have dozens of people who are leaving your service because they're constantly drowning in rape threats, then by extension, you're going to have hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people leaving. So and then you just have people who are like, this isn't useful to me, right? And that's when you get into algorithmically sorted timelines and how do we get more ads in front of people and yeah. you know, then, then it's just uh, – th- this is why my NGO argument is the right one <laughs> and someone should just do that because you can't have a platform that serves the needs of uh, the oppressed people in the middle east trying to do make the arab spring happen and also people who sell like shoes and 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 video subscriptions to online services like yeah. those people's needs just don't really intersect
1: stuff gets political pretty fast <laughs> yeah man reddit definitely
0: not a bastion of good moderation
1: but at le- i do they, like they do the rate limiting does kind of slow down the like It does.
0: And anything that has, uh, so something else we haven't even really touched on too hard is, um, rate limiting and, and, uh, blocking and muting. Those kinds of things are also really good. I think they're at least pretty good at, uh, stifling bots. And I do block bots. Like if I get a like on one of my tweets and it's from, you know, Sexy singles to 85 and get thousands of followers. Y- 89. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Any of those, oh God, there's so many of them, but there's obviously not a human behind that. So yeah. if I block that account, it's not like that person is then going to be like, oh, I'll show him, right? Like it's a, <laughs> it's a script running on somebody's Amazon Web Services instance. So like I do block those and I report them. I say like, this is spam. This This is contributing nothing to your network. It is only a detractor. Do you report those things? Are you a good netizen?
1: Oh, yeah. Anytime I get followed by a spam account, um, immediate report. Good man. All right.
0: That's all sad. (laughs) Twitter is sad.
1: I'm
0: I'm looking at uh, this podcast iTunes Connect thing from Apple.
1: Yeah, so this is new, um, which... You know, whatever you think of it, and we'll get into it in a second. It's better than what they had before, which may not be saying much at all. Which was nothing. Um, when you wanted to submit a podcast to Apple to get it in the iTunes directory, you had to go through iTunes and click on the podcast section and then submit it in the web view inside of iTunes. And that was just somehow the iTunes web view is like the slowest browser ever created. It's crazy. <laughs> It's so bad. And uh, I mean, we don't have to get into that today. But um, just the fact that I can use a Chrome browser to submit a podcast to iTunes or, or check if it's reading my feed correctly, um, that's good. So I want to know, when you log into this, what do you see? So I signed in with one of my Apple accounts. I, I didn't use the one I use for everything because it wanted me to change my password, and I was like, no. <laughs> so I, I have a second Apple account that... It's a long story. It doesn't matter. But um, I signed in. I just saw nothing except a plus to add a new podcast because there was I didn't have anything else associated with it. So
0: this is what I'm trying to figure out. Um, all of the Sunrise Robot shows have... The Sunrise Robot information associated with them, like it's in the RSS feed. Anybody can go in there and see what it is. Um, yeah, why do I have one random show from Sunrise Robot associated with my personal account?
1: So it probably maybe which is it eclectic yeah. reviews. So you were the one who submitted it to iTunes, and I submitted the other one.: So if
0: you went in, you would see all those shows, even though they are not associated with that Apple ID. Other than you're the one well, who said, Hey, this show exists.
1: Yeah, since I was the one that added it to the iTunes directory, I'm the one that manages its existence in the iTunes directory. Okay. Now granted not I can't like edit
0: begging to be manipulated in a bad way. Like I could just find anybody who for whatever reason hasn't put their show in iTunes and then be like, Oh, now it's mine.
1: Well, it's dumb, but there's not a lot of damage you can do. You can't edit the feed. You can't edit anything about it. The only thing you control is whether it's in the iTunes directory or not.
0: Uh, You can edit the feed.
1: I wasn't able to. It lets me look at the feed.
0: Specify an RSS feed
1: URL. So you can change the URL, but then that's going to transform the entire podcast and it'll have a new title and everything. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. So, that you really will just be submitting a new podcast if you change that feed. So, mm. you can't really hijack. You can just add or remove.
0: Well, then that makes this literally just a view of things you should know you already did.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I found it useful because I, I was building the new feed for uh, Rack and Tour, and it just, instead of submitting and then having them come back and be like, nope, it lets me preview what it actually read and if it's correct. And
0: Oh, so you, um, you get the validator before you submit? Yeah. Okay, so that's actually the luxury here.
1: Yeah, that's the new thing. I'm not having to be in iTunes at all. <laughs>
0: well, that, yes, that is a <laughs> tremendous luxury.
1: That is a feature. But
0: does this, I mean, broadly to you, the fact that Apple has said like, hey, we remembered podcasts exist. Is that a good sign <laughs> for, for podcasts?
1: Um, I, this isn't much of a sign of anything to me, other than they decided that. I mean, they already have this tool set up for their apps and uh, other things. Like the we have the pseudo book is in iTunes, so the the book submitter is very similar. It's a website. It's got all the the same like click a million times to do things kind of interface. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of like I don't. It doesn't really tell me anything other than that they realize it being an iTunes was colossally dumb. So like 15 years after <laughs> that was the only way to do it, they were like,
0: hmm, maybe a website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well done, Apple. But maybe they're, they're going to maybe they're going to unveil bigger plans, but I don't yeah, know. I'm not. I'm shaking my head over here for free <laughs> listeners.
0: All right. That So that was there was uh, some of those things were loosely grouped into what you might call follow up, but uh, show proper. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah. what do we have? What do we got? Some gaming stuff. Yeah, Amazon
0: released uh, The Lumberyard, which is based on the Crytek engine. And they're like, hey, build games for free, like AAA games. And uh, also eventually we'll release a version for like mobile and for Mac and Linux. Uh, Come come build games with our stuff. Do it. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, hey... You may want to use uh, Amazon Web Services. We uh, we yeah. coupled those in pretty tightly, so it's really easy. And the thing I didn't know about these gaming engines is when you buy or license a gaming engine, you're very much licensing it. So every copy you sell, there are royalties to the engine. So if you use, I don't know, like the the Unreal Engine, right, a super popular engine for AAA yeah. games. Every copy of that game you sell, some of that money goes back to Unreal or worse, if you can't sell your game for a large enough sum of money, then you're actually losing money on every copy because you have to pay that licensing fee. So the significant thing about Lumberyard is um, that it is like a world you know – they're saying a world-class quality game engine based on this super well-regarded game engine and no licensing fees because their hope is – any online features you have, you're going to just use Amazon web services, which let's face it, you probably would.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the whole Amazon stuff is kind of table stakes to me. Like, well, Google play and iOS already bake that stuff into their platforms too. And they aren't hard to use as far as I know. Um, so it's like, good job, Amazon. You should be doing that. <laughs> um, but you're right. The, the lack of any royalty or licensing fee on the engine is notable. That's um, the kind of thing I think Amazon has to do if they want to make a, uh, make a presence here. What I didn't realize was that Crytek allowed commercial sub-licensing of their engine, which is interesting. Um, well, I guess it's sort of not commercial sublicings, but it was presumably Amazon's going to be paying them some. Either it's a lump sum to say, hey, don't worry about this, or it's some other arrangement. Yeah,
0: that part I'm not sure about. But I mean, if they're doing the Amazon thing and they're like, hey, we'll absorb the cost on that, just use Amazon more, right? I mean, that's their entire MO. But I think what I find so fascinating about this is uh, when I was a kid, Uh, I remember one of the early, maybe not the first, but one of the early versions of uh, RPG Maker being available. Like you had to import it from Japan because it wasn't like a thing you could really buy in America yet. And then uh, all kinds of tools coming out like through my my teens and into college that made it easier and easier not to just build a game, but to build like a, a decent game, right, with like a decent engine, decent graphics or retro graphics, if that's what you're into. And I kind of wonder how the, uh, what do you call it, democratization of of game development will impact, right? Because we have things like Steam Greenlight where anybody can, like, throw something yeah. up there. And what happens when any idiot can open, you know, this tool and, like, build what we used to consider a AAA game?
1: So, um I was I'm reading up on Unreal's licensing terms and it's actually pretty generous to the point where I wonder what developer would like it why would I mean I guess free is better, but <laughs> so Unreal's licensing is um you only have to pay them if you make more than three thousand dollars on your game per year. Oh. And so, if your game, if you stop offering your game or you know you start start selling like crap, uh, you no longer owe them anything and uh, once it goes above three thousand, you owe them five percent, which is not nothing <laughs> um, so you know five cents on the dollar um, after three thousand.
0: But I mean, if, if of you, your
1: of your revenue, not your profits or any other. If,
0: if like, you're a 13 year old who loves video games and you're like, "Man, I'd love to make a game," which is more enticing: five cents on the dollar or none cents on the dollar?
1: Obviously, none. <laughs> but if you're like, "Oh, all the best games are made in Unreal," I want to use Unreal. I don't think that's maybe going to scare you as much.
0: Probably not. But I also wonder if the difference between Oh God, I have no idea what the industry term for this is, but like different engines have a different feel to them, you know? Like, the Unreal, like, you can usually tell when a game is made in, like, the Unreal engine. And, like, the the minute Fallout 4 footage came out, everyone was like, oh, look, it's Skyrim in the future, right? Like, you can just tell that it was, like, built on top of the same engine. Um, RPG maker games tend to feel like RPG maker games because they use, like, the default tile set and they use the default, like, battle structure and everything. So, is there possibly some leverage there where it's like, hey, this is built on a powerful and easy to use engine, but it's not the one that everyone uses, so it's not going to look exactly like theirs?
1: Well, I wonder how much this mirrors like professional tools in, in any field where it's like one of the engines gets the best middleware or plugins or add-ons like yeah, Unreal Engine games kind of look like Unreal Engines games, but maybe some enterprising RBT maker built a whole bunch of cool tools that plug into the Unreal Engine that make it easy to generate NPCs and villages and whatever. Like, I don't even know what would be in that space. <laughs> then that, I mean, that kind of stuff is going to influence you. And you might be like, Crytek's free, but all these cool little scripty things don't exist. And so I want to go over here. So...
0: Yeah, I mean it's I would love to hear from anybody who knows a lot about game development but I'm just I'm always happy when someone says, "Hey, here's the tools to build stuff." And then yeah. we'll we'll talk later about how we're going to make money on this. Right, so for Amazon, it's on uh, the web services if you do online stuff, which is fair because if it's an offline-only game, what do they care? Like it's not hurting them. Yeah. Um, with Unreal, it's because they want to continually develop the engine. They're, you know, they want a piece of the action.
1: Yeah, I, I, if you're Crytek, it's because you want your engine to become more prominent. Yeah. Um, there you go. So everybody, if you want you want to be the Unreal engine. Yeah, next Yeah. Everybody
0: time. stands to gain, and I don't feel like anybody's really getting ripped off. Like this is one of those situations where more, you know, it's like bringing literacy to the masses. It's like, oh, you okay? Here, now, learn to read and write, and then maybe you'll write something interesting. And if not, there's a billion other people. Maybe one of them will. And I don't forget <laughs> how to read because you learned how to read. It's uh, there's some like kind of uh, hippie give peace a chance phrase in there. Like it's it's right on the tip of my tongue about, like, sharing love. Like, you don't lose love when you give love, so give more love. There's, there's a Beatles lyric in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> One of the comments on Kotaku is, uh, I already made my own walking simulator. It's called Everybody's Gone Home to the Firewatch. <laughs> <laughs> Instant steam green light. Uh,
0: yeah. I do think it's interesting that Amazon, which is pretty historically platform agnostic, it's like, yeah, PC games only at first.
1: But like they didn't
0: even <laughs> launch with like OS ten support or mobile support. Like they it's in beta just for Windows.
1: Yeah. Well, that's where gamers are if they're not on a console. No one cares about Mac games. And I'm sorry. I, Most importantly, Mac Apple doesn't care about that, Mac that's games. That's the real problem, isn't it? And
0: I may have missed this in here, but can you develop for consoles with this?
1: I don't know. I, I, uh, if they didn't build it in as like giving you tools to export that way, it's probably not easy. Not. I mean,
0: the PS4 and, and the Xbone are x86 architecture, but that doesn't mean it's yeah. like, oh, you can't just run word on it. <laughs> and yet, no. I don't know. So this will be cool. I'm I'm always happy with more creative tools in the world.
1: We have another gaming topic. Uh this hey, VR hey, Leviathan. This is project. about interactive well, you got storytelling. Else to say? Don't just lump oh, it into sorry. gaming, Michael. Sorry. That's that's small minded. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, tell us about this.
0: <laughs> so this uh this video, the Leviathan Project, uh they call it the future of storytelling. Not hyperbolic at all, but it's uh it's basically an ad for something that Intel's working on. And the video is is cute and there isn't a tremendous amount of substance to it. But um, th- what this really made me think about is something we've talked a little bit about before and uh, the, the famous um, uh, Roger Ebert quote that, you know, like no game is art or arts or vi- video game or not art. Is that what he said?
1: No video game is art. Yeah, that they're inherently narcissistic and are different than right. art forms.
0: Um, so th- this idea of... What kinds of movies and stories can we tell when we have like VR and also smell vision and also surround sound, you know, like a, what do you call a 3D sound and and all of these other tools that. You have something against 3D sound. I don't know. It's just it makes me think a 3D touch, which I do have something against. Uh, but yeah, so like. Not 4C touch. Time. <laughs> that's the one they obviously should have stuck with. Uh, but you know what kinds of stories do we tell once we have all these tools available to us, and one of those tools is interactivity, no matter how minor how how small and how unimportant to the overall uh experience interactivity as part of the storytelling and uh we already have a name for that that's called a video game and <laughs> so that got me thinking like what are we gonna call this like giant amorphous blob of stuff that's like you don't really interact with it that much. It's, like, closer to a movie than a gamer would think of, but you, the fact that you have to do anything at all means it's not a movie to someone who doesn't game. I mean, like, there's whole sections yeah. of Metal Gear Solid 4 that are literally movies. You do nothing, you interact in no way.
1: You can move the camera or zoom in. Yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> and that's not required and doesn't really enhance the experience in any way. So, like what do what is this what do you think this is gonna be like where we have this this big blob of overlap like this mighty overlapping venn diagram
1: well i, I we've talked a little bit on the the last v r shows but uh I think there's gonna be a divide between i wanna kind of like sprawl on a couch and have entertainment shined at me versus I want to get deeply involved in something and look, and I want to turn, and I want to look at that guy's face, and I want to see what's behind that sign, <laughs> and I want to go, like, like to me, those are, there's kind of an uncanny valley in the middle that I'm, I've not been convinced of the value of. Like, well, it's kind of a movie, but you can kind of look around. <laughs> like, I'm either going to be lazy on the couch, and I want this glorious thing someone else made to be shared with me, or I want something interact. I don't know. I don't see a lot of middle ground there.
0: Well, and this is where the the definitions will get, Will I think, reveal more about the person going with that definition than the definition itself, which is uh, if you watched a movie on a VR headset and everything was identical to watching it on a television, but you can look a little bit into the periphery If you like kind (laughs) of turn your head like that is mildly interactive, right? The story is not changed. You can't change the camera like you can't view it through the eyes of a certain character. You can't change the outcome. You can't put an Instagram filter over it and make it look different. Like it's a really, really tiny thing you can do, but it's not nothing, which is the way movies are currently. Currently in a movie, you can contribute in none ways. So, like, would, would you consider even that, like, too much... I don't want to say work, but, like, would just watching a movie through a VR headset and having, like, a little bit of... Almost like a parallax thing where you can kind of turn a little bit... Like, would you still consider that watching a movie or is that now an interactive experience? <laughs>
1: uh, I, I mean, I think with all new technology, you you can't really ask the people who aren't part of the future what they want. I mean... There needs to be that transformative mass market culture changing artifact that brings us to that new world. Um, it's it's like, do you want a car, a mechanical horse that takes gasoline? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> <It> sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love the idea of that being what delayed the development of cars. People were like, uh, that sounds really dangerous.
1: Well, every new new thing faces this insane skepticism in Uphill Battle until there's that first product that's like, oh my, that is awesome. So maybe I'm just not imaginative enough to know like, oh yeah, looking at the periphery is going to be amazing in movies and I'm never going to want to let go of it once we have it but I, I don't feel that right now.
0: That's, I feel, uh, I think you and I both agree that the closer it is to a movie where you're strictly consuming, the less compelling that kind of stuff is. Absolutely. Whereas uh, the more good storytelling you can cram into what we think of as a video game, uh, that gets a big thumbs up from me. Like the more games on the market, like the last of us, uh, the better. I, I see no reason to
1: limit, which is a very linear. Yeah, game.
0: incredibly super linear. Um, there are actually areas I didn't realize this my first playthrough uh, that you can beat by just running like mad because once you go through a door, <laughs> yeah. the world behind you is dead to you forever. So you can yeah. kind of like cheat the rules of the game engine by saying like oh, I went through a door. Sorry, zombies who were within like a fingernails, you know, width of me. Like, I'm I'm on the other side yeah. of this door now.
1: Yeah, you're seeing the seams of the, the game engine.
0: But, you know, happened. at no point, because I did play through it two more times, uh, at no point <laughs> did I feel compelled to do that, right? Because you're so immersed that you're like, yeah, I kind of, I know what the rules are. I could sort of cheat the rules of the universe, but I'm not going to cuz that will harsh my experience. <laughs> <You're> harsh my <laughs> mellow, man. But what about um so the the example I gave you in in the pre-show was uh a game like the Stanley Parable, which is a hallway simulator, right? You don't you can jump.
1: Um but I mean there <laughs> yeah, it's a Half-Life 2 engine. You can really feel that it's a source engine. Yeah, but engine I mean game. no
0: portals, no guns, no enemies, no other entities at all actually
1: yeah just this playful narrator and your branching yeah. path
0: so something like that i could see lending itself incredibly well to you know a vr headset and really rudimentary controls like when you play that with the keyboard you technically have all of the keyboard and mouse options available to you you could write macros but there there's nothing to do like all you can do is walk yeah. and jump i don't you can't run so i guess you can crouch so you can walk crouch jump and then if there's like a button you can interact with it and uh i could imagine like a a a simple controller that's like a few buttons and it's it's designed for interactive storytelling experiences
1: but is is i really enjoyed stanley parable but i don't think it's that kind of like uh transformative mass market culture defining kind of experience like it's it was fun to go through once but it's not a, a doom or a super mario of gaming or storytelling to me that's absolutely fair
0: but imagine you are known to have the kind of equipment that is needed to play this so i as the little indie game dev can make this experience and then just try and share it with as many people as possible because I live in a world where everybody owns a VR headset. Everybody has this little four-button controller that's more than enough for this interactive story, right? (laughs) I mean, we're not there. We Uh, may never be there. I presume we will be eventually. Yeah. You know, that...
1: I don't know if everyone's going to own a VR headset. (laughs) (laughs) Not the things we see right now, these giant, goofy (laughs) visors. I mean, maybe there'll be contact lenses or something, but... I think
0: the biggest hang-up for VR headsets is not how silly they look, and that's a big (laughs) hang-up. I think the biggest (laughs) one is it either has to be tethered or it only lasts for like 15 minutes, and it's way underpowered. You know, if you could take a top of the line gaming machine and put it into something roughly the size and weight of like a batter's helmet, then yeah. Okay. Like I'm listening. Yes. I'll look stupid with it on, but it'll be amazing. So I won't really care, (laughs) but you know, like the, the hollow they have gotten in in a little bit of, of trouble in the, the press because what they originally showed was this like tethered version and your, your field of vision was, I don't know, let's say 1x. And then what they are now saying will probably actually make it to market, uh, the untethered one, everybody's like, oh, yeah, finally Okay, the untethered one this is what it's really going to be like. But your field of vision is now like 0.25x. So there's like yeah. a, you can see large parts of the world that cannot have hollow vision stuff on them. Right. So you have to look like directly it's a
1: buzzkill. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So, you know, is the HoloLens kind of dorky looking? Yes. But would I be way more okay with it if it had a top of the line gaming PC in it and went all the way to the edges of my vision, top and bottom, left and right? Absolutely, I would. But it doesn't do that. (laughs)
1: So a lot of big questions for VR. Still the, the hardware, like we're probably five years from the hardware shrinking enough to be good for these things, um, if not more. And we we also have format and art questions on like, what do you make for these? And I, I think, I don't, no one I mean, there every once in a while there's that McLuhan visionary that's gonna say something <laughs> about the future, but I think mostly we just need to make a lot of bad stuff until someone discovers what's really good.
0: That, that feels like a pretty fair <laughs> assessment. I, so here's a weird uh offshoot I don't think we've ever gone on. Um, and I know you haven't watched all of Rick and Morty, which you totally should. Uh, but there's they go into this like, you know, far away alien planet, uh basically like a Chuck E. Cheese. And one of the games is called Roy and you put this helmet on. And then from your point of view, it's like going into the matrix, you know, like everybody can see you sitting in this chair, but from your point of view, you wake up in bed as this guy, Roy, like as a kid, and then you live literally his entire life, but it's like super fast. So from, you know, the outside time is, is passing normally, but everything's happening quickly. And uh, in in Rick and in the show, like Rick just puts the helmet on Morty without like telling him what it is or what's going to happen, and he lives this whole life. He ends up marrying his high school sweetheart, and he like he gets cancer, and then he beats it, <laughs> and then like he he ends up going back to the the store he worked in, and he falls off a ladder and dies, and then <laughs> when uh, Rick takes the helmet off him, he's like, oh, not bad. You made it fifty seven years. But you went back to the carpet store after you beat cancer. What the hell? It's like you never go back <laughs> to the carpet store. And the thing that's so compelling about it is like a, a, you know, a viewer of the show is, is Morty grabs his head and goes, "Wait, where's my wife?" And then. You as the viewer are like, oh man, <laughs>
1: <had> like a, <laughs> It's like those dreams where you have a whole life and you're like wake up like missing someone that doesn't exist. Yeah, there's
0: a whole uh, one of the very excellent Star Trek uh Next Gen episodes is I can't remember what it's called. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes, but it's uh he like Picard like lives this entire life and then never forgets it. Like, after he wakes up, he's, like, kind of pissed at the people who did it to him because he's like, yeah, I had a family and children. What the hell? So I wonder if we'll... um
1: But then imagine if we could make that technology to, like, in a rapid dream state, one night of sleep, you could live a lifetime. Who wouldn't be, like... As long as I can, like, erase the lifetime if it was so bad, I'm, like, broken as a person. Why not live a million lives? Well, I
0: wonder if that would be... If we'll maybe go that way instead of uh, VR, right? Like instead of making your waking self aware of what appears to be reality, just cram a real reality into your like sleeping mind. And I know that.
1: So we're now, now we're in Vanilla Sky. Yeah, I mean, this too. is Vanilla <laughs>
0: Sky, this is Inception, this is The Matrix, but I don't think I've ever thought of it from this standpoint of, like, what if we just commoditized it and made it, like, consumer nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> and then you could play the uh, Stanley Parable over and over in your <laughs> dreams every night. <laughs>
1: So anyway, what we're talking about is based on this video, which we'll have in the show notes, called the Leviathan Project, which has uh, filmmakers and game developers in one room, kind of uh, sponsored by Intel, which is the big trademark over this whole thing, um, trying to figure out what to do with interactive storytelling in VR. And uh, the video is kind of a fluffy marketing piece. And uh, everyone has smart guy, black framed glasses and stuff in it, um, but you know it's sort of. I mean, we're going to see more of this stuff popping up over and over. And you're so
0: skeptical of this kind of interactive story, and I'm. I'm really not trying to knock you for this. I'm. What I'm. What I want to say is, uh, I'm going to look to you when I get super excited about something, and then be like, "Wait, Mike, is this dumb? Like, am I?" Am I making a big deal out of nothing?
1: You'll know it's a real thing if I'm excited.
0: I mean, I'm going to let you completely, you know, control my thoughts, but... uh, Well, that's good. But I think you you have a good pulse on this, right? Like, you've made a movie, you are a creative person, and if you look at something and you're like, no, this is cool technology, it is not advancing storytelling, then I know, like, which thing I'm actually excited about, because I'm... Whenever these kinds of things come out, like in this Leviathan project, there's like all these cool like VR headsets and there's people walking around and you see in the tech demos. I mean, the graphics are terrible, but they're like interacting with stuff. And the tech part of me is like, "Ooh, neat. But as a storyteller, (laughs) it's kind of like, well, what is this really enabling?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the parts of the human psyche that good stories scratch are different then, I mean, I need to think about this more, but <laughs> it's a different thing than gaming, and they're both great, and they both can be mixed in certain ways, but um, p- to me, part of what makes movies amazing is that I'm not in control. Um, it's, it's a different thing.
0: Yeah, that, every time you say that, I just keep thinking, like, I have no good response to that, because <laughs> I really think particularly based on the time in history I've I've grown up in or we've grown up in I would view anything that I had to engage in as not a movie cuz to me that's not what a movie is right twitter is in reverse chronological order and movies I don't have to interact with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that is if you the minute I have to interact with it to me that's not really a movie anymore now it's a game
1: well, and and psychologically, people are in a dream state when they're enraptured in a movie. And that's why people are really grumpy when something distracts them or the the film burns up or whatever <laughs> happens in a theater. People are grumpy like you just woke them up. And that's kind of physiologically what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm not as excited for this as I think. Maybe I just want the holodeck so I could play really cool video oh, games. I still
1: really want to try it, but I want to try it for games more than I don't know than story. But again, I'm I'm that guy on the early side of history, and something could completely change my mind or show us something new. Okay, so here I got
0: this. This will be the last thing until I think of something else. This will be the last uh, question I'll pose to you. So in Star Trek, a lot of times uh, when certain characters use the holodeck they are using it specifically to live out the life or story of, uh, you know, like they want to be Sherlock, right. Or they want to um, be George Washington, you know, like in, in a famous battle in, in the, the, the not the civil war, <laughs> um, the war for independence, <laughs> also the civil war. He, he was everywhere. Um, what would you think about that? So you have like a favorite book, let's say it's the Hobbit, and you're like, okay, I am going to do exactly what Bilbo did. I just want to see it from his point of view, right? So, like, you're not allowed to break the universe. You can't go off the grid and kill Gimli, like, midway through. <laughs> but yeah. you, you're you doing it, like, first person. So it's kind of like a game, but you are rigidly locked into exactly how the story progressed,
1: isn't that what the video games already are for movies?
0: <laughs> well, but I mean, if you think about like uh, like the Lego Lord of the Rings games, not only is the theme obviously different, but there's, I don't know, you have like some kind of freedom because there's always like a hub world and you can like kind of hang out. <laughs> I'm thinking more like uh, in Ready Player One, where you had to literally recite the lines verbatim, otherwise you were penalized. I'm talking like that kind of rigid. Like, would that take it out of the realm of being a game and now it's more like an interactive movie because I'm living the life of this character?
1: Well, then you're, you're following a script, but... I don't know. Can you really lose yourself in that thing when you say something wrong and it's like, nope, repeat the scene? And you're like, ah, oh, damn it, I have to, oh <laughs> uh, right, I have to look up what Bilbo said. I have to look up which steps he walked. Right, in. so you
0: can't get into that. That's that taking you out state. of it every other second. It's more like you're constantly <laughs> rehearsing for a play.
1: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or either that, or it does it for you, and you're just you're just a, on a roller coaster ride through Bilbo's life. <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: just The Hobbit on Rails. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I still I can't get over the idea now that anything that counts as interaction means it's not a movie anymore. I've broken this concept for myself. <laughs> All right. I need to stew about this for another week or two until I think of something new to try and pin yeah. you into a corner mm-hmm. with. The good news is, every time I'm like, "Ha ha, I've got you now," you actually make me d- deeply reflect, and then I'm like, "Oh, I <laughs> walked it right into my own tiger trap."
1: Well, maybe one of our listeners has some brilliant idea about what what are movies and will, how are they how do they relate to this? We actually stuff.
0: we have uh, at least one listener that is is uh, likes to shout at us on Twitter, and he works for a movie studio, so. <laughs> I would be particularly <laughs> interested in, in his viewpoint on this. Um, but if you want to shout at us on Twitter, you can most easily find me at Lions in beta and Mike, you are?
1: At pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael.
0: And if you need to find any of the things we talked about in this episode, you can always find the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash um, 106. We do love feedback, so whether or not you work for a movie studio, you should definitely reach out. Um, if you want to make sure you always get the latest episode, you can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. I'm still using Pocket Casts, and Mike, I think you're still using Overcast. You ever use the yep. web client? Is it pretty good?
1: Um, I have for a show I didn't want to subscribe to or download or do anything to that. The web version was really right, so handy. So it's your podcast condom in that
0: case? Yeah. Like, eh. I want to keep some distance. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but don't do that with us. You should totally subscribe. There's an iTunes button and an RSS button, and it'll just pop open your podcatcher and subscribe. Or you can always search and find us. And if you want to make it easier for other people to find the show, uh you should definitely go into iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. It helps uh push us up into new and noteworthy and people's directories and, and surface the show and make it a little easier uh for people to get into. If you want to support us more directly, you can actually go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you might get your name shouted out at the end of the show. So with that, I need to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Interactive Storytelling Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so, so much. We could not do this without you. So much love. Uh, All All the hearts. All the heart emoji. See you next week.